Luke chapter 2, I would like you to read Luke chapter 2 with you. You know, we wouldn't have Christmas without this beautiful story here in Luke chapter 2. And I'll read the odds and then you guys could read the evens. Look at how beautiful this is. Luke chapter 2 in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Canarius was governing Syria. And uh, verse 3, And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary. Oops. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> sorry, okay, brother. Focus. <laughs> Verse 5. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. That while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Here it is. You ready? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe lying in the danger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard him marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. What an awesome, awesome uh, text, truth, uh, story when you think about it. How, uh, you know, the Lord moved the emperor, you know, the ruler of the world, so to speak, uh, to have everyone numbered, everyone taxed. So that Joseph and Mary can travel from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem in order for the Savior to be born there. Because the Bible had said in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that uh, he would be born in this little town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means house of bread. And so Jesus, uh, according to John chapter 6, is the bread of life. Uh, the Bible gave him a, a, a picture of him in the Old Testament. He's the manna that came down from heaven. 
And that bread, it, it saves us, it sustains us, and it satisfies us. And so, you know, Joseph and Mary, they traveled to Bethlehem. Imagine how difficult that must have been, being nine months pregnant. Uh, but they eventually arrive there. Uh, when they get there, there's no, there are no reservations. There's no room for them in the inn. So they end up staying in a stable or a cave or some type of barn with the animals. Imagine the stench. And there, Jesus is born. And, you know, we're going to talk as we go through our study today about that. But such a humble arrival. And, and then, you know, when Jesus is born, uh, the angels uh, appear, not to the religious leaders, not to the guys in the temple or Jerusalem, but to the, the shepherds who, in one sense, were considered religiously unclean. But the Lord uh, sends the angels to them, and they, they hear what really happened, how there was born to them that day the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and then they decide then to go and see for themselves, which is a lesson in and of itself. I'm going to go in and check this out. Uh, and when they do, uh, the Lord, imagine how it must have been seeing that baby, Jesus. I'm sure there was something special about him. And then what ends up happening is they go out and they make it widely known. And uh, they go tell it on the mountains. They go share, just like we should. You know, we should come and see and we should go and tell. And last night I had the blessing of talking to my best friend growing up, uh, Paul Siragusa. We used to call him the Goose. And he's still one of my best friends. And I've been uh, just, it's been cool rekindling that relationship with him. And, you know, he, we were talking for a while. It's his birthday. And he said, I'm not very religious. And I said, neither am I. I I'm not either, man. I just know that as a Christian, I have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have this personal relationship with God. And this whole Christmas season, it's about Jesus. And I was just telling him how beautiful and how simple and how powerful it is that we can know God, you know? And it was just really cool. The Lord had opened up those doors. I love him so much, you know? And we should do that just like the shepherds did. And then when all this is happening, isn't it cool how it says Mary pondered these things in her heart? We should do the same. We should be meditating on these, pondering these things. And, and then when you look at this, this is so amazing. And then what ends up happening is just God is, is glorified. And so, you know, the Christmas story is so beautiful. It really is. You read Matthew 1, Luke 2, you read... You know, John chapter 1, a couple other passages, some of the prophecies, and it's just so beautiful to be able to study God's word about these things. And so uh, today, actually, though, I want to do uh, something a little different. What I want to do today is kind of like take us back to our childhood. I, I want to share a simple, simple message with you. You know, I think we need to do that every once in a while as Christians to go back to when we were children. You know, one of the things I've discovered in life, to be honest with you, is that some people grow up to become adults and they're dull as adults. And they kind of need to go back and, and have that faith of a child. To have that faith even kind of the way it all began. Jesus even said something in Matthew 18.3, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, 
You know, when you're, when you're, chi- you're a child, you, you know, you believe. And that's how you're saved, by that faith, man. It saves you. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again, he becomes your righteousness. You believe and receive and you're saved. It's like a child believes. It's not complicated or sophisticated. It's just so beautiful, right? And, and then I think that as Christians, we have to continue to make sure we don't leave that first love, to make sure that our faith doesn't get, you know, retarded or go backwards. No, it's got to get stronger as Christians. And so that's why we have to be in the Word and just soak it up as a little child. And so let's kind of try to do that as kids of God. And so let me ask you a question today. Um, I want you guys to be honest, right? Because you're in church. You can't lie, right? What was the best part of Christmas as a kid? You know, and I know I'm not, it's not a blanket statement. I know not everybody has the same answer, but generally speaking, what was the best part of Christmas as a kid? And for most of us here, if you were honest, you, you admitted it, you would say it was the gifts. I mean, it was the toys. It was me when I was just a little boy, and man, for months, all I wanted was the train set. You know, and so, praise God, I remember as a little kid, you know, I saw the, the train set, it was all wrapped up. I knew what it was. I, it was there sitting by the tree, and it was in that box shaped like a train set. I knew what it was, but I opened it up just a little bit just to make sure before Christmas, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're a kid, it, I'll be honest, it was about the gifts. It was about the train set. It was about maybe the doll you wanted. For some, it was a dog. It started as a puppy, you know. You got the bicycle, whatever. You know, as a kid, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a part of Christmas that... that that we remember that just made us feel this feeling of, I don't know, it's, a, it's an experience, it's a memory that just somehow gets packed inside of us. And then I think for the rest of our life, in one sense, it, it makes Christmas so beautiful. And, and so what ends up happening is we grow up, and of course, we know it's not about the gifts uh, that you know, we buy at Macy's or, or the gifts that we buy, you know, from Amazon that get delivered to us. We, we know better than that. But as, as Christians and as kids of God, listen, it's still about the gift. The gift that was given to us, it, it, I, you know. And so, you know, that's what I want to focus on today. Uh, the Lord just said, Manny, make it simple, make it simple. And make it Trinitarian. The Lord kind of laid that on my heart. Because Christmas really is about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, in our house, uh, we have one of those uh, Alexa things. Any of you guys have those Alexas? And whenever uh, there's a, a package delivered, it has this little circle. It's a little yellow light that, you know, um, lights up. And usually it's my wife is the one. She's walking by. She'll be all, Alexa, notification. And uh, Alexa will say the notification and tell us that a package has been delivered. And that's kind of what I want to share with you today. Uh, it's, a, it's a message. It's about the special delivery that the Messiah has arrived. And I want to share with you three things, some um, simple things. But I think if they catch our hearts, they're life-changing things. Number one is who sent the gift? Who sent the gift? Number two... What is the gift? What is the gift? And then number three, how, how do I open the gift? And you're going to see as we go three, through these three things 
that they really are helpful for us to contemplate and celebrate Christmas. And so number one, who sent the gift? You know, you get the notification. There's motion in front of the house. Uh, maybe they even rang your doorbell. And so you go, and to your pleasant surprise, there's a package on your porch. You, it wasn't something that you yourself have ordered, and so you ask, I, I wonder who sent this? And the first thing you do, obviously, is you look on the package, and then for us, the first thing we do is we open up our Bibles, and, and what we read is one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave. Who gave this gift that we're celebrating on, on Christmas? And the answer is God. You know, I think sometimes we forget or sometimes we neglect to remind ourselves whose list we're on. I, I pray that you listen. For many of you, because a lot of people that are watching, they're down, they're depressed, they're defeated. They're discouraged. A lot of people who are, are watching, they're sad. They're sick. Some are suffering needlessly. Some, unfortunately, uh, because of their own sin. But others, because of nothing they've done wrong. And, and here's the thing. I believe with all my heart that if this truth actually reaches your heart, this truth will heal your heart. That, that what we have is this God who has us you know, on his list, that God gave this gift to you, that God sent this gift to you. And we need to consider that. You know, when it, when it comes to Christmas gifts, to be honest, I, I honestly wish I had more money. I wish I had a lot of money. I mean, some of these rich people, wouldn't it be cool? None of you guys are here are rich, are you? I, um, wouldn't it be cool if you had all this money? I wish, man, that I could buy for everyone. But the truth is, I can't. And to be honest, I wish everyone could buy for me. <laughs> but the truth is, they can't, right? And I'm not, and I should not be on everyone's list. It's just the bottom line. But by the grace of God, I am on his list. And I'm reminded that on, on Christmas Day, that I'm on God's list, that I'm on God's mind, that I'm on God's heart. And, and so are you. That's why the Bible says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, we, who gave the gift? The whole God did. And, and to be more specific, the Father did. God the Father is the one who sent this gift. As a matter of fact, you read in the Gospel of John, there were so many passages. I said, you know what, I'm just going to tell them to read the Gospel. Seventeen times in the Gospel of John, Jesus said it was the Father who sent him. The Father who sent him. Which kind of leads to our next point, after, why, after who sent the gift, what exactly is the gift? And if you just keep reading there in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You read that in John three sixteen. You read that in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
And so who gave the gift? God the Father gave the gift. And what did God the Father give? God the Father gave his Son. God the Father gave God the Son. And we're going to see three things. Number one, he's God the Son. Number two, he's God the Son who took on human flesh. And so that's how he was wrapped up when he came. And number three, he's God the Son who took on human flesh with a mission to die for us on the cross. And so you begin, okay, I want to celebrate Christmas. You got your decorations. It's kind of cool when you have kids because they kind of like force you, hey, Dad, you got to put up the lights, you know? And it's kind of cool, you know, you got your wife and my wife decorates a tree and it's so amazing and she sends out cards and you got the different traditions, you know, when it comes to Christmas, we'll go to Brea and we'll look at lights or whatever it might be, you know, you go shopping and, and things like that. But listen, you haven't really celebrated Christmas if that's all you've done. You know, what you're doing right now is like I'm honing in on, on this gift that God the Father has given to me, to us, God the Son. What'd you get for Christmas? I got God. I got God for Christmas. It was prophesied back in Isaiah 7 in verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, it translates that God with us. And so, you know, the virgin will conceive. Think about that because he had to be conceived without sin. And so it had to be a virgin birth. Jesus was there. According to Luke chapter 1, by the Holy Spirit, he was conceived within the womb of Mary. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now you might wonder, well, why is he called Emmanuel? I thought his name was Jesus. Well, yeah, his name was Jesus, but his nature was Emmanuel. It's kind of like my wife's uh, mom. Her name was Rosie, but they called her Shorty. And you'll never guess why. Because <laughs> she was Shorty. She was a bundle of power and strength, and she was probably stronger than me, an amazing woman. But, you know, her name was Rosie, but, you know, her nature was Shorty kind of thing. You know, and that's Jesus. Jesus, his name is Jesus. It means Jehovah's salvation, and that's significant. It's an amazing name above all names. But Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, he calls his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so we're not just talking about some little baby or some significant birthday. The reason the whole wide world is rocked on this day is because God the Father gave God God, the Son, to us. What did you get for Christmas? I got God. You know, and you look at this. He's God, the Son, who took on human flesh. And that's when it just begins to get so crazy. And I don't believe we'll ever understand the love behind the gift. We'll never understand the whole thing that took place in this hypostatic union in this theanthropic being, 100% God, 100% man. They call it the incarnation, where the divine, you know, son of God, he took on human flesh, he never lost his deity, but now he's just added with a different nature, another nature, the dual nature, now the human nature, right? And so, um, 
you know, 1 Timothy 3.16 is a really appropriate verse. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Let there be no mistake about it. You know, you got some people out there who uh, teach different things. They are heretics. No, Jesus is God. You know, it says that so clearly in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And notice what we read in Philippians chapter 2. In, in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so Paul, writing to the Philippians, they're, they're a good church. They're not a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And so he does say, hey, there's something that you guys do have to do. You do have to esteem others better than yourself. Let this mind be in you. Because it was the mind that was in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 6, Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Okay, so where it says right there, being in the form of God, the Greek word for form is morphe. And that Greek word, it means essence. It means nature. And so he's saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, in the morphe of God, in the nature of God, in the essence of God, even though he was God, it says right here, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, that's an interesting phrase. In, in the Greek language, it says, basically, he did not consider it robbery. It's kind of like something to be grasped. And so he didn't consider this something to be grasped. And so that can mean either two things. Number one, he, he didn't uh, think it like something that he had to strive for because he was God. And so he didn't have to go and reach out for it because he was God. Secondly, it was something that he didn't have to necessarily, you know, cling to. You know, he wasn't striving for that. No, he, he was God. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who even though he was God, what he did was he humbled himself. Look what it says next in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a, a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And so he made himself of no reputation. And now it's like, okay, I don't care what other people think about me. All I got to do is obey my father. My father wants me to go down here and take on this other nature. He made himself of no reputation. What that means in the Greek language is the word kenosis. And it means he's emptied himself, not of his divinity, but of his divine privileges. He never ceased to be God. But he emptied himself of those divine privileges. And what it says right here is he came in the form of a servant. He, he basically came and he became a man. And that's what Christmas is. You know, and, and the thing about it, though, is that he didn't start as a man, right? We know it was much earlier when he was conceived within the womb of Mary. 
You know, he didn't start as a man. He's conceived, and the, what's happening is the maker and maintainer of the entire universe, the one who filled the universe. And you guys know how big it is, right? I mean, he, he filled the universe. Now he's reduced to the size of, of being microscopic in size. I mean, have you ever thought about how small a baby is when they're first conceived? As the single-celled zygote divides and grows, it becomes what we call an embryo, and as the embryo gets larger, it travels down the fallopian tube, and eventually it reaches the uterus. And about three or four days after conception, that little uh, baby grows to the size of a grain of sand. And so the God who, who made all the sands, the God who says in Psalm 139 that my thoughts towards you are as the sands of the sea, that God became the size of a grain of sand. And then he was there within the womb of Mary and weeks went by and months went by and he grew and somewhere about nine months later, the Christmas day, and the baby was born. You know, I know that when I look at this, this beautiful part of the Christmas story, it never, ever, ever gets old. You know, as Mary and Joseph, they travel uh, to Bethlehem. And at this point, I want to borrow a little bit from Ken Geyer. He's got a great book. It's called Intimate Moments with the Savior. And he says this. He says, imagine being nine months pregnant, traveling 85 miles, side-saddled on a donkey. No shock absorbers. When they arrive, there's no reservations. There's no room for them in the inn. They can't even negotiate some space on the floor somewhere. And so they have to settle on staying with the barn animals. Not sure if it was a cave or a stable. All we know is that with, with the animals, and there's no doubt that the stench must have been strong. You know, Mary must have been a tough young girl at the age of maybe 14, right around there. You know, it's not a place any mom would want to be, far from home, far from family, far from what she had dreamed of in the delivery and birth of her firstborn child. But there she is. The birth would not be easy, just in case you're wondering, because every royal privilege for this son ended at conception and so there was a, the pain there was the scream from Mary and then the top of the baby's head had already pushed its way into the world and sweat pours from Mary's face as Joseph the most unlikely midwife rushes to her side and Mary has to push with all her strength there she is and she has to push with all her strength almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph then places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a very long sigh, her labor is over. Special delivery. The Messiah has arrived. And you look at Jesus' elongated head from the journey through the birth canal, mucus in his uh, body wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid and the son of the Most High God umbilically tied to a lowly Jewish girl. You know, he cries. He nurses. 
And then Joseph and Mary together stare in awe at the baby Jesus, who had such a mysteriously glorious and at the same time natural and utterly humble entrance into this world. His eyelids begin to close. It's been a long journey. God is tired. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable. A feeding trough would have to make do for a crib, and hay would serve as a mattress. And so, with barely a ripple of, of noise, God steps into the warm lake of humanity. And it, it's just so beautiful. It's so humble. I mean, it's so amazing that the God of the universe wasn't, I mean, the least it could have been was Kaiser, you know, hospital or something, you know. Um, I mean, it should have been a palace. It should have been under the best conditions. It should have smelled good. But that is the humility and the majesty of our God. You know, and in one sense, a lot of people say was one of the things that he was doing was just making sure that he never intimidated anyone, that no matter who you are, you could know that Jesus would never turn you away if you just come to him. But you, you see this story and it just blows your mind how God the Father gave God the Son who took on human flesh in order to die for us. You know, the reason I called my friend yesterday is because it was his birthday, you know, and, and birthdays are kind of cool because you get the time to acknowledge someone that's special and uh, you almost wish you could do it every day, but we just, you know, there's a lot going on in life. And so, hey, birthday, my brother's birthday, I'm going to give him a call and talk to him and just basically tell him, hey, bro, I want you to know that when you were born, uh, prior to you being born, God had a plan for your life. And when you got born, so to speak, I was, you know, you share, God said, and now he's setting it all in motion. And everybody here, when you're born, prior to being born and then being born, God's got a plan for your life. Well, what was the plan for his life? Well, Jesus was born to die for our sins, ultimately. You know, on Thursday, we went over a study and we talked about other reasons Jesus came. Number one, he came to teach us. And so he spoke the greatest words ever spoken. He gave us the light of the truth and so we have the new testament it's all apostolic it's all connected to jesus and number one he came to teach us number two he came to help us and so when jesus came and walked in our shoes he experienced all the temptations we would ever experience and so now he can help us anytime we cry out to him number three he came to show us he came to show us what's god like what is god like and you know, if you don't have a revelation, you're left to your own imagination. What's God like? Well, if you want to know what, what God is like, just look at Jesus. So he came to teach us and help us and show us, but primarily he came to save us. And that's what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. 
In John chapter 12 and verse 27, there's an interesting verse there uh, about when Jesus was praying, and this is what he says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. I mean, there he is, he's praying, he's thinking about the cross, he knows it's going to be crazy, separation from God, the sins of the world, the wrath, think about all that he experienced, and, you know, as he's praying, he's thinking, what should I say, take it away? No, this is the whole reason I was born. This is the reason I came. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, For when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, uh, to buy back those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And in the perfect timing, God sent forth his son to redeem us, uh, no longer under the sentence of the law or the legalism of the law, but now to make us his children by birth and adoption. And so when you think of Christmas, man, don't miss this. And, and it's kind of cool. Like we read there, Mary pondered these things in her heart. That's what we're doing right now. We're pondering these things. And then you go home and you just let it, let the, kill the noise. Kill the noise. Let there be quiet time with you and God and you celebrate, that's how you celebrate Christmas. You ponder these things in your heart and you let it sink in. God the Father gave God the Son who took on human flesh to die on a cross for me. You know, when you think about that, what you cannot have Christmas without Easter and Good Friday. You cannot have that cradle without the cross. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me because God knows what he's doing. God is sovereign, you know. And so when you look at a lot of these nativity scenes, they have uh, the three, you know, kings or whatever, magi, whatever. The only reason we think there are three is because there were three gifts that were given. And so in Matthew chapter 2, it says that Jesus is now in a house. He's not in a cave, not a stable or barn. And so this is a probably close to a couple of years later, but still the Holy Spirit or God in his sovereignty somehow allows it to be connected to the Christmas story. And I think part of the reason is because of the gifts that were given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That star appeared when Jesus was born. Somehow it's connected. So when they came and they brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, you have to, well, why gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Well, gold, it speaks of royalty and divinity and majesty. The, the frankincense, they would scratch the tree and then the gum would come out and they would burn it as incense, as worship to God. And that's exactly what the kings did. They came and they worshipped him, right? So the gold, the frankincense, but why the myrrh? Why the myrrh? Well, everyone in that day, and we should know as a result of that, that myrrh was, a, it was a, an ointment that they would use to embalm the dead. And, and in the very beginning... God reveals to us that he was born to die. And so, you know, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And when you're considering Christmas, you know, it's not just the birth, although that's part of it. You realize that 33 years later, he would be nailed to a cross and he would bear every sin will ever do and he would pay the price so that we can be saved
You know, Christmas, it talks about, you know, being white. I, I, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Well, to me, white is innocence. I'll, I'll bring it into, you know, Christendom. That song belongs, hey, a white Christmas is like, hey, I'm forgiven. Praise God for that. Red, you know, you guys know why I wear red, right? Because I want to be ready. That's why I, I wear red. <laughs> Partly. No, it's, you know, I don't know. I have my red sweater. I wear it on Christmas. It's because it's part of the season. And to me, I think of the blood of Jesus that washes away my sins. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then, you know, I was reading even some of the news articles. They still have them. Why the Christmas tree? Why evergreen? And you know, there's different theories on that. Some like to take you back to pagan origins, and maybe there was some type of connection there. But you know what? We replaced it. Just like you used to be pagan, but now God changed you. God changes the meaning of everything, right? That evergreen tree is now symbolic of life everlasting, even in the winter times, even in the difficult times. The lights, a lot of people will give Martin Luther the credit for that and that one day he was looking at the trees and he saw the stars through. And so, you know, again, it's all dependent on what meaning you put into it. Let it all be about Jesus. You know, that is, a Christmas tree is cool, but Calvary tree is better. And so all I'm saying is that when, you, when, you're, when you're contemplating these things and you're thinking about Christmas... You're like, well, God the Father gave God the Son who took on human flesh in order to die for us. And so let me just ask you a question real quick. Is that enough? Mm, kind of. But, but, but did Jesus come and die for the whole world? Yes. Is the whole world saved? No. Because it can't just be, you know, what God the Father has done in one sense. Not just what God the Son has done. You still need the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And, and for that, I was wondering if you could turn to John chapter 3. As we move now from, okay, uh, who sent the gift? Number two, um, what is the gift? And, and then number three, well, how do I open the gift? How do I operate the gift? How do I receive the gift? How do I use the gift? And, and, and look what we read here in John chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus ends up being a blessing, man. But this is kind of where it all started uh, with him. He was a Pharisee. Most of the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they rejected him because he wasn't, you know, playing by their rules. Uh, they were very self-righteous. They were building their own kingdom. But Nicodemus, God started, God was working in him. He, he was a Pharisee. It says right here that he was a ruler of the Jews. And what that means is that he was part of the Sanhedrin. There were the 71-member Supreme Court of the nation of Israel, so to speak. And so this guy, he's a pretty significant guy. You know, when, when you read in verse 2 that he, he comes to Jesus by night, uh, we can't be dogmatic about this, but more than likely he comes by night is because he doesn't really want to be seen. He's not really sure uh, about that. So he comes maybe undercover because he's seen something about Jesus, something about 
you know, him, maybe the signs or the teachings or something, the Holy Spirit was working in him. The Holy Spirit was drawing him. So he comes to Jesus and, you know, maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian or maybe you're watching online and at the end of the day you're not yet a Christian, but something's got you watching, man. Something's got you here, you know, and it's the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you just like he was drawing Nicodemus here. And so, you know, uh, what we see uh, Nicodemus say in verse 2, he tells Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, he calls Jesus a, a rabbi, and, you know, he calls him a teacher from God. He doesn't know yet that he's talking to God. He's not just a, a random rabbi. He's not just a passing prophet. He's not just a typical teacher. You know, Nicodemus, those are something special about him. But, but man, there's so much more and Nicodemus says, well, no one can do these things, these miracles that you're doing, unless God is with them. At least Nicodemus has the honesty to, to reveal that. You know, Jesus spoke the greatest words ever spoken, and he's done the greatest works ever done. And so Nicodemus comes and he, and he says that, you know, I see something special right here. But then the Lord, man, he does not beat around the bush. I love what he says in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, uh, Most assuredly, in the Greek, it's amen, amen. It means truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, you try to explain things to your friends who don't know the Lord, and to them it goes in one ear, out the other. Why? Because they are not born again. Nicodemus saw something, and so he comes to Jesus, but Jesus says, you can't really see the kingdom of God. You can't really see all the things you need to see until you're born again, Nicodemus. And think about it, you guys. Here's a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. Later, Jesus will call him the teacher of Israel. Think about it. Here's a guy that's very religious, and you might be here, and maybe you're very religious, you know, and you might be watching and you're very religious you might even be a you know a priest or something and you not only have taken the sacraments you know you've given the sacraments so to speak but 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 the lord says you need to be born again i remember when i got saved i'll never forget you know because i had grown up in catholic church my whole life i'll never forget you know after i got saved i went forward and accepted jesus christ as my lord and savior God came into my life and I went home and I told, you know, my Aunt Mary because she was the one who was very Catholic and, and that and, and I told her, how come you never told me I had to be born again? You know, what, the Bible says it. Nicodemus, he hears it, but he doesn't understand it. Nicodemus in verse 4, he said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, this is, pay attention, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know, if you're just born of the flesh, you, you're not saved, you're, you're not a spiritual person 
But what Jesus says is you have to be born of the water and the spirit. And I believe the water is symbolic of the word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, it says that husbands are to wash their wives in the word of God, in that water of the word of God. Old Testament water, symbolic of the word of God, cleansing. First Peter says, born again, not of incorruptible seed, but, but incorruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, which is the word that lives and abides in you forever. And so, you know, when the, when, the, when, the, when the Spirit of God gets the Word of God, when they meet in someone's heart, they're, they're, what's conceived is a child of God. And that's why when, when you really want to celebrate Christmas, it's a gift, you know, from the Father, from the Father God giving the Son of God opened up to us by the Spirit of God. And that's why, you know, if you think about it, and again, you get a gift Amazon, you're all excited, you bring it in, but you never open it up. Or maybe you do open it up, but you don't know how to use it. That's kind of how it is. You know, a lot of people, they hear, they've gone to church, but they've never really opened up their heart to Him. You know, sometimes with wrapping, you can just rip open with your, with your hands, right? You just rip it open after that. Maybe you need a blade or maybe some scissors for some of those boxes. Um, have you guys ever got those gifts in plastic that you kind of like need a, a saw or something to cut? <laughs> Sometimes the gifts are, are difficult to open. Bottom line is, here's the way it works. Just because someone gives you the gift that you need or want the gift, there's still more to the gift. You have to receive it. You have to open it. You have to learn how to operate it. You have to really receive the gift. And what we discover is that this Christmas gift comes to us from God the Father The gift is God the Son, and we open and operate and make sense of this gift by the power of the Holy Spirit. And and that's why it's kind of cool when you think about Christmas, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If if all all you have is the first two in in one sense, you're not far enough. You know, I was thinking about, and I've told you guys before, how in one sense Christmas is three journeys. It's the journey from eternity into time. The journey from heaven. Imagine, I don't know, the different dimension, how God came to earth, this puny little speck in space. When you look at the galaxies, it is small. God came and became, even within our planet, the size of the grain of sand. That's one journey. The second journey is from Nazareth to Bethlehem, maybe 85 miles. It's pretty crazy when you think about it, and there he's born. But then the third journey, and the one I think is toughest for most people, they've heard the information, and it's all right here. But the 18 inches it needs to, to go to where it becomes a truth in your heart. And And so some, you know, they need to get saved. Others, they need to return to their first love. They need to um, go back and remember what Christmas was like in the beginning, how Christmas was when you were a kid, how excited you were. Do you remember? How excited you were at at the gifts. For us, it's how excited I am about the gift. Because I know what life was like before. I know what life is like now. 
And I know for most of you here, you're Christians. I pray you would ponder these things in your heart. Take time. Kill the noise. Be alone with the Lord. And worship Him. Uh, if you're out there and you don't know the Lord, I pray that you would, this Christmas, you know, God's given you His life, His Son. You give Him your life. Give Him your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And let that that be the miracle of God. I, I remember reading a story about a man who was in the waiting room and his wife was in the delivery room giving birth to their child and, you know, they're waiting and apparently it wasn't his first child. He'd actually been there before. And so after uh, a period of time, the doctor comes into the room and he says, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And the dad's all, what? What do you mean it's a miracle? I had twins, triplets, what, what is it? And the, the doctor said, the baby was born. And the doctor said, I like to say that for every baby that's born. Because <laughs> in one sense, every baby that's born, it, it, even conceived, is a miracle, huh? But, but this miracle of Jesus, the love that would bring him here, wow, it's a miracle. And then for you to be born again. Don't forget. Because you might think it's getting old, like it happens all the time. Oh yeah, babies are born, people are born, people become Christians. No, it's a miracle when someone actually gets saved. And so Christmas is such a beautiful season where we can contemplate these things. I've told you guys many times before that in one sense, uh, the way it works is that we were saved by the Father before time began. He chose us. And they were saved by the Son when He died and shed His blood on Calvary. And we were saved by the Holy Spirit the moment we were born again. It's kind of how it works. And so I pray we would never forget that. We would celebrate Him, uh, worship Him, today especially these days that we're living in because like i said i'm wearing red because we got to be ready man the lord is coming he can come at any moment maybe it'll be a hundred years a thousand years but it might be in the next you know five minutes man the signs of the times are there and so we need to be ready i read one article and i'll just share this with you in closing it was a news article that i read online it said, this year, survival should be at the top of everyone's Christmas list. And you know how they're telling you you can't get together, even with family. It's ridiculous, right? Um, but it's so sad, you know, because all they're thinking about is temporal, physical survival. What we're talking about is eternal survival, forever, spiritual. And that happens when you give your life to Christ. No more idolatry. Who's at the top of your